It's not the Bible's fault. It's the way we're handling it. We're not reading it well. We're not understanding it properly. We're not applying it properly. And uh, that is an art. There's a science to that. There's an art to that. There are things and principles we need to understand. to Revelations, the place where we speak truth to power. I am Cole Johnson. I'm so glad you're able to join us. Our next guest comes from the place nicknamed the Land Down Under. Thank you, many work. He planted a church at an age where most of us are still trying to figure out exactly where to go and what to do in life. And with the title of his book, You Can Handle the Truth, he outright challenges us to try Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, author, minister slash pastor, and even podcaster, hmm. Chad M. Mansbridge. And this is his revelation. How are you doing, sir? Well, after after hearing that intro, bro, I'm so excited uh, <laughs> to hear myself. That that's amazing. <laughs> well, I'm very well, thank you, Cole. Thanks for having me, mate. Oh, no problem, no problem. And just judging by all the things I've done in researching you, uh, you deserve all the platitudes because uh, yeah, you are one magnificent human being, and uh, I'm looking forward to unveiling all of the layers of who you are. And, you know, since we're just introducing ourselves to one another in conversations, we have to open ourselves. So we're, we like to do what we call open the way. And that's what we're going to do right now. Okay. Now, in Open the Way, conversation starts when vulnerability enters the room. Now, you are Australian-born and Australian-bred, and you actually reside there now. Uh, How were your formative years when you were growing up? Okay, good question. Well, yeah, I grew up in Australia, in South Australia, so like you call them from the deep south okay except yeah our deep south down here basically touches antarctica so you know it's pretty a bit colder down here in in our deep south okay because the equator is obviously uh is opposite but uh, Mm -hmm. i grew up in a coastal a coastal town so most australians live uh on the beach on the coastline we're a large Mm -hmm. continent we are a continent country uh, but we uh most of us live on the coastline as as which is where i grew up uh, I was the eldest of four children. I grew up with uh, married 
biological parents and my parents are still married today and uh, the eldest of four, um, I'm similar age you, so born in the late 70s, uh, childhood in the 80s, teenage formative years in the 90s and uh, I was married by the by the start of the uh, millennia. Uh, I think in 99, uh, 1999, I got married. So, and had our first kid uh, in 2001. So, but growing up, the eldest of four uh, kids and uh, a multiracial family, as it, as it turned out. My parents had uh, three boys, so two sons after me, and they always wanted a baby girl. And so, rather than risking it with a, uh, a fourth pregnancy, they uh, went and uh, we adopted a South Korean sister for us. So, uh, we uh, I grew up with a, a baby sister from Korea. Nice. Okay. All right. I- I'm glad you mentioned the makeup of Australia. I think one of the things that, that struck me as odd, but I think I can somewhat understand it, is that, like you said, most of the population seems to be on the coastline and very little when you go inland. Because <laughs> I've always wanted to ask this of an Australian. Uh, why is that the case? Why why do Australians live more on the coastline than they do in more inland? So inland is prob- is that very dry, sorry, a good portion of inland is that very dry, arid, Arizona desert style, okay. you know, type of plain. Uh, so uh, the famous uh, icon in the middle of Australia, basically, uh, called Ayers Rock, or the official name is Uluru. It's a massive rock, basically, but it's a big red uh, uh, red rock just sitting there in the middle of nowhere, essentially. Okay. Um, but that's that's essentially why it's not particularly uh, friendly place uh, to live because of the um, just because of the you know climate and the environment. Uh, but but uh, we have a number of communities that live in that area, primarily in in those sort of desert spaces. Uh, so there's some of our indigenous, you know, fundamentally indigenous communities right. that live out in in out bush, you know, uh, in that space. Yeah. But no, most of the uh, cities. Uh, water, you know, you need humans always need water, and so right. True. Uh, inland, <laughs> it's not that reliable uh, to have to have water. So, uh, so yeah. So essentially, when we uh, when the English, you know, colonized, if you like, or when the when the English arrived here, uh, two hundred two hundred thirty years ago, whatever it was, two hundred forty years ago, uh, we stuck to the coast. Okay. All right. So, if I were to travel to Australia, like if I were to visit uh, Brisbane or Sydney or Melbourne. Uh, what are the differences between like those cities I mentioned or a city like Perth? You know, what are the differences in the different series, cities and areas in Australia? Well, firstly, Cole, congratulations. You pronounced those cities accurately. Uh, there's, uh, you know, oh, yeah, you said Melbourne, not Melbourne. Melbourne. Right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Americans would be very common to say Melbourne. But no, right. those, those are... <laughs> Uh, probably the four largest cities that you you mentioned there. So Perth mm-hmm. is renowned. It's on the very far west. And when I say far, I mean far, mm-hmm. western part of the country. So it's basically, you know, it shares an ocean with Africa, okay? And so uh, it is actually known as, I think, the most remote city in the world. Uh, so even here, uh, the city I'm from, Adelaide, or the closest city, uh, Queen Adelaide, uh, we're named after. But Adelaide, I think it takes us three three or four hours, I think, to fly to Perth. 
and uh, it's in the same country. You know, it's just one state away, okay? But to right. fly there, we're the closest city, the closest next capital city to get there. Um, so Perth is remote. It's really known for that, and there's a lot of mining in that part of Australia, and uh, a lot of South Africans uh, immigrate uh, there. They, they come from Africa. That's about as far as they can go, and they, they sort of stay there. Uh, but the other cities you mentioned, Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne are essentially the east, so they're the very opposite end. One thing that's really fun to do, I'd, I'd encourage your audience to do, is to Google image um, a, the map of Australia overlaid on America or Europe if, you, if you're European. Uh, because mm. you'll just see how big our continent is. If you compare right. it to the, uh, the size of the United States, uh, you'll see how big Australia is for only a population of 25 million, a very sparsely right. populated, but uh, a very large continent. But those cities on the East Coast, the main thing that will uh, change them is how far north or south they are, because, again, we're opposite to you. The further north we go, the more humid it gets. As you right. go north, you get closer to the equator, uh, closer to Asia, Southeast Asia, so it gets warmer up there, whereas down below. So Melbourne would be a cold, uh, cold, wet and dry, a bit like where I am in Adelaide. Uh, good for wine. I'm in a famous wine region here, like the Napier Valley. Uh, it's very, it's a world famous wine area. McLaren Vale, Barossa Valley wine drinkers would understand that. Uh, whereas Sydney and then Brisbane is a bit more humid as as you go further north. Man, and you're pretty good. Good. Okay. Now I have a better understanding of Australia. Okay. Nice. All right. All right. So what direction did you see your life headed when you were growing up? When I was growing up, um, yeah, look, I was one of those kids, I think when I, you know, I've got children now myself, the father of four, you know, and uh, I've got a couple of kids now finishing uh, high school. So they're being asked the same question. I remember being asked at 15, what do you want to do when, you, when you're when mm-hmm. you older? What do you want to do when you grow up? I really didn't know uh, when, I, when I left school. So the only thing I was sort of vaguely interested in, it was probably from watching um, television programs coming out of the States, I was interested in the legal system. So uh, I enrolled in a course that uh, basically a law degree, kind of, uh, a legal studies and philosophy degree is just what I enrolled in because uh, back in my days, this is the case with many people, you just presume that you have to go to university or you would say college uh, straight yeah. after high school. So I did that. Um, but it was probably during my second year at uni, I did a three-year undergraduate bachelor's degree. It was probably during my second year I really developed a desire to teach the Bible and to um, to essentially have some type of. Uh, I, I felt a developing leadership calling, if I'm you're happy to use that word, uh, on my life to help people get to know God and to help people understand the Bible. And I remember in my second year of university, I'm writing three thousand word essays on philosophy. You know, d- dissecting. Kant and and uh, and all sort of philosophers, and I just remember looking over at my Bible, just going, "Oh, I wish I could be writing about you." You know, <laughs> like yeah. philosophy was boring me, and uh, <laughs> I had to finish this course that I that I'd done. And so mm-hmm. it was really in my young adult years, and that probably largely had to do with the fact that in my young adult years, when I moved to the city to go to university, I plugged into or I joined a. Yeah, a, a new church because I was living out of my hometown now. So I was living mm-hmm. in the big smoke in the city, plugged into a church. And that church did have a, a culture of leadership development. Uh, so that, that that church believed that uh, in the Christian world, at least, one of the best places to be trained or equipped to be a leader in that sphere was actually in the church itself and not um, in an institutional 
situation. Um, you, our listeners might have heard of something like Bible Seminary or Bible College. Right. My local right. church believe, listen, the best place to, to train up leaders for the church is in the church in it. itself. <laughs> and, um, and so in that culture, I had my heart and my mind open to the possibility of, wow, what if I'm called in a church leadership role? And that, that desire began to be fanned um, in my young adult years when I was at university. And, uh, you know, together with that, being part of that church, my relationship with God uh, took on a new level of maturity and excitement, and I wanted others to enjoy what I was enjoying, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and I knew part of that had to do with grasping, uh, having a good grasp of the, the Holy Scriptures or what we'd call the Bible. So, yeah. Turn with more Chad Mansbridge. You have to learn to live with yourself before you can make a commitment of yourself to someone else. When you go to something that's already structured, like the church, I don't need to go in there thinking I'm the pastor. It's like already one set up, you know what I'm saying? It, was, it just had everything, but I learned, you know what I'm saying? I, everything I did, I learned from. So we look forward to seeing you same time, same place. Know that we love you, God loves you more. Continue to stay safe, do the right thing, stay out of trouble. Conversation that informs a community. Brothers of Legacy, every weekday morning, at 9 a.m. Eastern. If you're looking for a sports program that gives you the flavor. Washington Commanders? Really? This whole thing stinks to high heaven. That pulls no punches. Thuggish act. By a thuggish actor. That gives you some humor. Praise everything LeBron does and never criticize it. If you want a show that gives you good times, then this is that show. BS3 Network proudly presents. I am Cole Johnson and welcome to Cole's with a Z every Friday on Patreon and every Saturday on YouTube, Spreaker and all other outlets Author, pastor, and minister Chad Manbridge is joining me on Revelations. He just opened the way beautifully, I may add. And now it is time for him and for me to take that walk across the bridge to prosperity. Now, this is where we link childhood lessons to adult application. And you mentioned, of course, your your uh, love, your hunger for 
the word of God. So, of course, since I am talking to a minister and a pastor, I have to ask you the question. When did you give your life over to Christ? Oh, okay. Well, as I said in my childhood, I grew up in a, maybe I didn't say this, I can't remember now, grew up in a married family, but grew up in a Christian family. So both my parents were um, what we'd call born again Christians. They took the Christianity very seriously. They were part of the, uh, you know, my grandmother was probably one of the first links in the chain for our family who uh, went to the front of the Billy Graham crusade here in Australia in 1956, you know. So so Billy Graham has uh, influenced our our family. Uh, But both of my parents were Christians in the early 70s in uh, the charismatic days, or some of your listeners may have heard of the Jesus People movement. So I had the privilege of growing up with two believing parents. It's not everyone story but that that was mine and so in one sense I sort of automatically you know uh, quote believed in God or God church was just a normal part Jesus was a normal part of my life growing up but it was really my my father would say there was in watching an Easter movie one good Friday with Jesus on the cross at about 10 years of age is when he prayed a prayer with me to say look I want to accept Jesus and, and accept what he did for me on the cross it was around about that age I got baptized in water and uh, I actually got <laughs> got baptized uh, in the place where I was growing up. Um, there was a fun park, okay, like a summer fun park with swings and 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 water slides and rock climbing and archery and all that kind of adventure stuff. And wow. uh, I wanted to get baptized there, so I literally got baptized at the bottom <laughs> of a water slide in <laughs> in a fun park. So that's my story there when I was about ten or eleven years of age. But it was probably really in my teenage years where. The, the understanding of Christianity and the awareness of God went really dropped from my head to my heart and became mm-hmm. an assumed belief, oh, yeah, of course I believe in God, to a unshakable conviction. And it was around that time in my teenage years where I can really say personally I met God and uh, I've encountered God. I've, I believe I've heard him. I believe I've experienced him in a way that I can't be convinced out of this now. And I've got questions about my own faith. I've got questions about the Bible I, uh, and Jesus. I encourage people to ask questions of the Bible. That's the whole uh, basis of my book is to ask good questions of the Bible. That's how you learn. So we've all got questions. But the question of is God for me or against me? Does God exist or not? You know, is the spirit realm real or is it all make-believe? Those questions are sorted for me. So by the in, in my teenage years from an encounter with essentially encounter with Holy Spirit. And so by the time I went to university, and I was sitting in tutorials on philosophy and we were debating issues like, you know, the God question and the spirit right. realm and faith and predestination and, mm-hmm. and moral philosophy and all, all sort of ethical decisions. And ha- do they come from God or do they uh, can ethics come from anywhere else? In those challenging conversations, I was secure in my knowledge that I don't have all the answers, but I know that I know that God is real. And so, yeah, my, my Christian experience, I guess, was a development, uh, or is a development, uh, but there were sort of defining uh, defining points in there. Yeah. Wow. That is nice. Okay. Wow. All right. So uh, as a younger at heart believer, <laughs> I'll put it that way, uh, what was the most uh, beautiful aspect about when you were reading scripture that leapt out at you, what was the most wonderful aspect about being a Christian back then for you? Oh, yeah, yo, 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 yo. Look, I'm, I'm uh, the type of person that really needs to know what's true. 
so I, I sat with a psychologist, a counselor a few years back, and he did a, a temperament test, like a personality test on me. Uh, and uh, that's just one of the things that he do, does. So by the time he sits down with someone for the first time, he already knows something about them. And he said, Chad, one of your, I can just tell from your temperament test, one of the, the highest emotional needs or core values you have as part of your temperament is you must know truth. You must you have a, a high value for truth. You need to know what's true and what's not. You need to be clear on that. I'm like, yeah, like that's that's me to a T, you know. Right. And so to answer your question, if what's one of the greatest benefits or the, the things mm-hmm. I found in my relationship with God early on mm-hmm. was just mm-hmm. that I knew what was true, that I knew what was real. I was convinced of something, that where there was uncertainties that were quite shaking uh, for me. Does God exist? Do I have to do what I'm told to do, you know, as a teenager, I'm, I'm, I've, I was uh, exposed to different types of lifestyle in different areas. And I wonder what my parents say, this is the right path. And, and my, my high school friends are saying, this is the right path. And, uh, you know, porno- pornographic magazines that I was looking at were saying this was a, an, another path. So I was getting conflicting images uh, and conflicting uh, paths presented to me as a young person, as all young people are. And mm-hmm. uh, but it was around that time, I think, knowing God that said, aha, that's what's true. That's the path I'm going to be walking down because I know that that's right. Um, and not just morally right. I know right. that that is truth, truth. That's, that's right. the path of truth for me. And so uh, so I think that was the thing that, that probably meant the most to me. Yeah. And, you, you know, you, Cole, you're going to ask that question to different people and largely, not entirely, but largely because of their temperament and their makeup, they're going to give different answers to that question. So for some people, it's going to be, right. I knew that I was loved or I knew that I was precious or, right. you, you know, I, right. I knew that somebody knew my name, you know, mm-hmm. or, or I knew that I was safe. And, and, and a lot yeah. of that is coming from either their um, that response would come from their past or possibly just their temperamental makeup. That was part of the, the deep need that they had. And that's one of the wonderful things about God and, and about knowing him is that he knows our needs better than us and right. uh, he can meet us where we're at. And so for me right. as a teenager, I didn't know that my one of my major emotional, deep emotional needs as a, as a human was to know mm-hmm. truth. But God knew that. You know, God knew that. And so yeah, he, he answered that need in me even before I could articulate it or identify it. Wow. Now, that that is something to, that's something to wrap your brain around. The fact you had in your core that early in life, this is a deep belief for you. That is awesome. Okay. So when did you know you wanted to be a minister? And then when did you know you wanted to actually become a pastor or a leader of a church? Well, I knew in my in my teenage years, one of the things that was key to my development is my parents would send me on a summer camp. And I, now we discussed this before the show, but summer, of course, here is the opposite. We have summer at right. Christmas time and, and New Year's. Okay, so they'd right. send me on a summer camp over the New Year uh, period, and there was and uh, this was in high school in my teenage years. And there's Christians there, all different types of backgrounds and expressions. So the Baptists mm-hmm. and the Presbyterians and the conservative and the and the fundamental evangelical and the Pentecostal and the charismatic and and the slightly more liberal. And there was quite a, a, a wide variety of expression here on this camp. And what it did in my early teenage years is it got me understanding that while Christians all have the same Bible, we don't mm-hmm. all come to the same conclusions of, of what it actually means or or how we are to apply it or how that affects church life or Christian life. We actually all have quite 
considerable variety in our beliefs in certain beliefs, although we've all got the same book, you know. And so what that the, the, the thing that, that really did and this desire for truth for me uh, meant that that developed a hunger in me to understand the Bible in my teenage years. Well, come my young adult years, as I said, I'm, I'm there at university, I'm writing philosophy essays and philosophy and legal studies is all about weighing the balance of what could be true. Is this possible? Is that possible? Is this, you know, what about this? What about this? What about this? So my mind is thinking about um, different options of, of things that could be true and narrowing that down in, in essays. And as I said, I thought I'd love to be doing this with the Bible. I'd love to um, be able to communicate the truth of the scriptures, knowing that people have very different views. I'm very okay. Uh, I'm, I'm okay temperamentally with understanding people can see things differently, and uh, clarity uh, is is king when it comes to uh, when it comes to um, dialoguing together, listening right. to different points of view, and becoming clear on what we do agree on. And so, what I was doing in my philosophy essays, I now wanted to do with the Bible, and uh, it was in my uh, soon after I was married, maybe two years into our marriage, we had a baby and it was I reached a crossroads in my life. I'd finished university. I was working in retail and uh, I just knew I didn't want to do another Christmas season. I'd done two or three Christmas seasons, shopping seasons in retail. I didn't want to do that again. And so we'd reach a crossroads in my life of, of praying and saying, God, what's next for us? Do I pursue a career uh, in something that I'd studied or is this church leadership thing maybe the next option for us? And it was on that two-week holiday period that we had that we felt God spoke to us really clearly about opening the door for Christian church, Bible teaching, leadership, pastoring, ministry, whatever. And um, and that's the path that we chose at 23 years of age. And so, again, it's not everyone's story. It's not normal necessarily, but uh, I was 23. My wife and I were 23 years of age. We had a 10-month-old child. Never went to Bible college, never went to seminary. Uh, we were trained in the local church that we were part of. And at that age, uh, we felt uh, confident enough to plant or to um, to pioneer a new church, essentially from scratch. And we started a church back in my hometown at 23 years of age because we were convinced God had spoken to us. And so this this interest from teenage years, my young adult years, passion for the Bible, a passion for sharing something of what I'd experienced in God uh, led us to become ministers at 23 years of age. More with Chad Mansbridge right after. This. Of course, Steph Curry. Tim Anderson. Jordan Alvarez. And it's caught. Debo Samuel with the catch. Michael Jordan can sense. The throw just got the king. BS3 Network. The hottest of hot takes. The coldest of cold hard facts. This is Snowman in the Morning with Gold Johnson. Weekdays at 8 a.m. Eastern. Check your local listings for your viewing and listening pleasure. Alicia. You can't hold somebody to that standard if you haven't voiced what you want and what you're needing from that. Mika. If you're not communicating expectations, you're waiting for your feelings to be hurt. Nicole. 
Yeah. A lot of people don't want to take the time out to be alone and to get themselves together. Ivan, you got to be willing to work through stuff. And from the jump street, y'all done had problems. Maybe you don't need to be working through those. BS3 Network proudly presents Queen 3 and King Podcast. Live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central. author minister good guy as you can see uh, <laughs> chad mansbridge joins me on revelations he he's opened the way he has walked across that bridge along with me and now it's time to get behind the purpose Now, behind the purpose, this is the reason why we function the way we do. And you talked earlier, of course, about the the peeling back the layers of the Bible and how that just interests you so much. So I guess I have to ask the question, hermeneutics, why is this word and why is the art of it so important? Wow, you've gone straight to a technical term, Cole. That's awesome. So hermeneutics <laughs> hermeneutics is essentially a fancy word. It is a technical term. It's not a word you, we're going to use every day, right? Right. But, uh, hermeneutics is basically about the, the way that we interpret and understand literature. Okay, so we apply hermeneutics every day. It's not just about the Bible. Uh, if you have a... If you go to a, an Italian restaurant and they hand you a piece of paper and it says menu on the on on the top of the page and there's a list of words and then there's numbers next to those those words and you know one of the words is Hawaiian and uh, and then the number fourteen next to it okay you are interpreting that literature your job is to read it you know what it says it says Hawaiian fourteen but you know what that means because. In the context of what you're reading, you're in an Italian place, Hawaiian. You gonna you know that that means a pizza that's got pineapple on it. Okay, that's what the word Hawaiian means right. in the context of an Italian restaurant. And fourteen, because you're sitting there in in uh, Tennessee, uh, fourteen means fourteen American dollars. You have to pay fourteen American dollars to get a Hawaiian pizza. That sounds mm-hmm. a bit obvious, doesn't it? Because you know that mm-hmm. you're sitting in an Italian restaurant with a document called a menu. Well, right, right. there you are applying certain rules and understandings about how to understand that literature. You know, that that written text in front of you that says menu Hawaiian 14, you aren't, aren't just, they're not just words, you know, you have to work out what am I reading? What does that mean? And what the heck do I do with it? Okay, well, I need to choose. Do I want a Hawaiian pizza or not? Okay, now that's a bit of a silly example. But it's very simple just to say that every single day when we read something, when we're, uh, literature is exposed to us, we apply certain principles and rules, even if it's unconsciously, like you would in an Italian restaurant, okay? Even if it's mm-hmm. unconsciously, you um, look at those words, you seek to understand what those words mean, and then you choose to do something about it. Well, mm-hmm. right there, uh, we have essentially a three-step process to understanding or interpreting 
literature. And those three steps are also is the way that we should uh, apply um, how we should approach our Bible reading. So as I said before, you know, I grew up in a in the in a world where I knew Christians all had the same book. We've all got the same Bible, but we come to very different conclusions and very different understandings sometimes as to what it means. And the reason for that, sometimes it's because of bias or, you know, because of our history, we just assume things. But one of the reasons for that is because we apply we, we apply a different interpretive approach as we read the scripture. And so one of my great passions being a pastor now for 20 years is not just to teach people the Bible, but to teach people to teach themselves. Okay. I don't just want to read the Bible on a Sunday. I don't want to just tell people this is what the Bible says and this is what you should do. I want people to be equipped to read the Bible for themselves, to understand what it means and to make their own decisions on what that means for their life, what God may or may not be saying to them through the Holy Scripture. And so my job is to equip people to handle the Bible for themselves. It's like that old adage, you know, you give a man a fish and you'll feed him for a day, you know, but if you teach him how to fish himself, then he'll look after himself for a lifetime. That's the job of the Bible teacher is to not just teach the Bible, but to teach others to teach themselves. The Bible is a powerful thing. It's a tool. Uh, It's a good thing, but it's also powerful. And people can misuse the Bible and cause hurt and harm to people. And this is what we see in cults. This is what we see with with cult leaders is is an extreme example. But some of your listeners have experienced that even in pretty good churches where Mm -hmm. someone has used the Bible. They've quoted the Bible and caused great harm and damage. We can do this on a societal level. We can um, quote certain verses and we can use that to uh, degrade women, let's say. Or we can do that to endorse uh, Negro slavery in the States. Okay, so you've got a history of that. Uh, So where people have literally used the Bible uh, to sustain the slave trade. Okay, well, that's using it, uh, misappropriating it, misusing Mm -hmm. it, that causes hurt and harm to people. Because the amazing thing is the very Bible that was quoted uh, to to sustain the slave trade in, in your country was the very, very same Bible that um, that was used mm-hmm. to liberate and to say all men are created equal. Okay. Right. So, <laughs> so, right. And so it was the driving force behind ending that whole system. Uh, so, um, so the same Bible, the same word used very differently. <laughs> Hermeneutics is about uh, having a healthy approach a thoughtful and a healthy approach to the Bible so that it gets the results that it is intended to, which is to get people to know God, to know his true nature, to walk in a relationship with him, and essentially to be a blessing and benefit to the planet. And uh, if our Bible interpretation is not leading us there, then we're doing something wrong. It's not the Bible's fault. It's the way we're handling it. We're not reading it well. We're not understanding it properly. We're not applying it properly. And uh, that is an art. There's a science to that. There's an art to that. There are things and principles we need to understand to make sure, like Paul said to Timothy, I want you to be a workman that correctly handles the word of truth. And that's why I titled my book when I put out a book in the, at the end of 21, I put out a book on how to handle the Bible properly. The title of the book is you can handle the truth. Okay. You can handle the truth. There's a right way to handle it. There's a wrong way to handle it, but you can do it. And you don't need to be a professional preacher. You don't have needed to have gone to Bible seminary. Yes. The Bible can be a bit 
complicated at times. Okay, the Bible can seem uh, a little bit complex and uh, maybe even mm-hmm. a bit contradictory at certain points. Oh, well, right. there you go, Chad. Even on the slavery thing, how can how can two people have such a different conclusion? Well, yeah, there are there are times where the Bible can be a little bit difficult, and that's fine. But you don't have to be an expert. You do have what it takes. You can handle the scripture. You can handle the truth. And uh, my book is about helping everyday, ordinary people handle the Bible well, approach it with confidence, knowing that you've got the tools in your hand to do so. What does the acronym JOY, J-O-Y, mean to you? Ooh, okay. So at the end of my book, so basically my book is structured around three simple steps. I kind of alluded to it when I when I used the pizza uh, example, the Hawaiian pizza. To mm-hmm. uh, In fact, the, the subtitle of the book is Making Sense of the Bible. Here it is, Making Sense right. of the Bible in Three mm-hmm. Simple Steps. Okay, you can handle the truth, Making Sense of the Bible in Three Simple Steps. Those three steps I frame as three questions. The first question is, well, you've got to ask, what does the Bible say? Okay, <laughs> that's a pretty, pretty mm-hmm. good place to start. You've got to know, well, what does it say? Just like when you read that that menu, what does it say? Well, it says menu Hawaiian 14. That's what it says. Fine. Mm-hmm. Establish that. That's step number one. You've got to know what the Bible says. Second question you ask is, well, what does that mean? Okay, what does it mean? I know it says that, but what mm-hmm. does that mean? Okay. The third question then is, well, who cares? What does it matter? <laughs> what does it say? What does that mean? And then what does it matter? And so that's what you do when you read a menu. What does it say? What does that mean? Well, Hawaiian means I can buy a pizza here for 14 American dollars. That's what it means. Well, the last question is, what does it matter? What do I do with that? What what, what now? What next step do I take? Well, you've got to ask yourself, do I feel like pineapple on pizza today? And do I have $14 to spend? That, and then you choose what you do with that information. Okay, so that's the three mm-hmm. steps of hermeneutics, the three steps of interpreting the Bible. Ask yourself three questions. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it matter? What do Mm. I do with this? Well, your question, Cole, is what does the acronym JOY mean to me? And that's because Mm -hmm. in that last step in my book, I encourage people when you're asking the question, well, what does it matter? Okay. So the JOY is simply this. Ask yourself, what does this passage of scripture that I've just read teach me about Jesus? J, what does it show me about because one of the main is to explain what God is like, is to reveal Jesus to us. So if you're reading a Bible story, you're reading an incident, say, what does this teach me about the nature and the character of God? What does it teach me about Jesus? Oh, well, what does it show others? Okay. I've just read a story about David and Bathsheba. Okay. And uh, I've read a story about David and, and Sol- his son Solomon or his son, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Absalom, who betrayed him. Who cares? What do I do with that today? What does it matter to him? Well, what- might help you understand other people in your life. You might read a story and you go, you know what? That story really reminds me of my cousin. And I I now have a greater appreciation for what my cousin's going through, Mm. how he or she felt when that situation happened to them. You gain wisdom from the Bible to understand not only Jay, Jesus, but to understand others so that you can love them better. Because your great purpose in life, remember, is to know him and to love other people. Right. And so the Bible to understand other people, because at the end of the day, Cole, mate, we can read the Bible and the stories of 2000 years old, their culture's a bit different. You know, that they, they had unusual customs and unusual traditions that we just do not have today. Sometimes you 
read the Bible and go, wow, people lived in another world, and they did. But you know what? People haven't changed, mate. People haven't changed. The same flaws that people have, the same failures that people have, the same struggles that people had two, three, four thousand years in the middle okay, stories that are based in another part of the world to what you and I live in speak a whole nother language to what you and I do people mm-hmm. haven't fundamentally changed and so we can learn from those stories to appreciate uh, how the people operate better so how do we find application in the Bible look for Jesus what does this Bible story or this Bible passage teach me about God what does it teach me oh about others and lastly what does it say about you Okay, what I learn about myself in this story. As I said before, part of the reason the Bible is relevant to people is because it shows us, it teaches us about ourselves. It shows us something of our identity, how God sees us and how we operate best in the world. And so when I encourage, I close my book with those three chapters. I say, listen, sometimes finding Bible applications, not that simple. But if you look for Jesus, others and yourself, uh, there is a way that uh, through most any complex Bible page, you can learn something. You can take something away uh, that is relevant to you right here and now in the 21st century. Chad Mansbridge on the other side. This is Revelations. Discouragement, sorrow, distance. Your arguments cause damage to your family. The hurt leads to divorce. You feel like there is nowhere else to turn, but there is hope for you. That's where we come into play. There is an overcomer that lives inside of you. One ready to take on the world as you leap for joy, living in victory. You'll grow to love yourself and others. There's life after divorce, and you can claim it today. Get over divorce, where your new story begins here every Thursday on YouTube and Spreaker. TED Talk, but I don't have anything to talk about yet. I'm getting there. Life is for the living. We're not here that long. You can learn anything you want to learn without any money spent. What do I really enjoy? What do I really want out of life? I am your host, W-I-Z-E. Are you in a life-holding pattern? Well, this is for you. Welcome to the Stuck In My Mind podcast. these interviews commercial free well now you can revelations is on patreon become a patron today
author, pastor, and minister, Chad Mansbridge, joins me in Revelations. He's opened the way. He's walked across the bridge. He has given us the reason why he is who he is and what he is. Now it is time to bring all of that to light. Now, all of us shine in a unique way, and obviously, your light shines very bright. And so the question I have to ask you is, unlike Jack Nicholson, you can handle the truth. <laughs> How did that book come to existence? Uh, the book or the title, yeah. The title isn't a play on Jack Nicholson. No, I can say uh, only those our age would probably get that uh, get that call. The extenders from that from that great movie, but no, you know in that scene, right. uh, you know Jack Nicholson says you can't or you can't handle the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, the part of my book, you can handle the truth, uh, comes from mm -hmm. that uh, encouragement. As I mentioned before, the Apostle Paul writes to a young Bible student, a young Bible teacher, a young Bible pastor, Timothy, Second Timothy chapter two, verse fifteen. He says, be a woman but not ashamed because he correctly handles the word of truth. Some Bibles say rightly divide, and I, I explain the difference between that in my book, but who correctly handles the word of truth. And so that's really where the title comes. To mm -hmm. You can handle the truth. You can handle the Bible. You can handle the scripture. And, uh, you know, a lot of books on Bible interpretation, how are we meant to read the Bible? How are we meant to understand it? Which Bible should I choose? And what's the best reading method? And, and, uh, and what about the, the historical bits or the complex bits or the, the story? How does it all fit together? The Bible seems confusing. All these questions are answered in books like mine on hermeneutics. But many of them, many of the books on the market, if you look at Christian bookshops or Amazon or whatever, are really thick. They're quite technical. <laughs> they, they're, they're, uh, they're really designed for mm -hmm. Bible seminary, you know, whereas I'm of the belief that everyday ordinary believers, uh, Christians particularly, but also people that don't know Jesus yet, uh, should be right. have confidence to know you can read the Bible too. You don't have to be a Bible seminary, Bible college student to handle the scripture and to do it well. And so I believe that everyday ordinary people and so the idea of this book, you can handle the truth. It's very casual. It's uh, a mentoring conversation. That's why I'm just sitting there holding my Bible. That's the, the picture on the front. Okay. And it's simply because I just want to have a conversation. I'm going to let's sit here. Let's open our Bibles together and let's talk our way through how to handle it well. And so it's full of anecdotes and stories and humor. Okay, I guarantee you'll laugh out loud. It's full of examples from the Bible. One of the things that frustrates me as a Bible teacher is when I hear pastors or ministers um, say, you know, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this, and they don't give examples. They don't, they don't show me how that works. You know, give me an example. Give me an example of how that actually works. Well, I do I have a lot of biblical case studies and biblical examples tell you what you should do when you read the Bible and then demonstrate what that looks like in real life. Okay. So very much uh, hands on learning about how to handle the Bible well. And uh, you know, in our church and around the world, the different uh, feedback that's, that's come in. I've had 80 year old ladies who, you know, were ministry church ministry for years who said that I love this. I wish this in my 30s and my 40s and then i've had mm -hmm. brand new or christians people that have only been christians for a year or two in our church in their 20s and and who've also benefited immensely so essentially targeted for 
everyday people, uh, particularly for Christians who want to get serious or more serious about reading their Bible well. Uh, maybe you're part of a small group or a Bible study. Maybe you lead a Bible study. Okay, really helpful to know some hints and tips about how to approach your Bible reading and uh, how to understand what it actually means, how to interpret the difference between what's supposed to be literal and what's not supposed to be literal, okay, and uh, and ha- how to understand how the books fit together, the historicity, some of the cultural aspects of the Bible that, um, that mean that we come to a different understanding of what it might actually be meaning because we have a 21st century Western lens on. We need to understand something of ancient culture. So I talk about culture a bit and uh, all sorts of things that help people. Uh, after 20 years of being a pastor, uh, it's helped me to understand some of the practical hands-on ways that people get uh, bogged down in their Bible reading that, that cause questions. And they're the questions that I want to answer in this book. Ah, okay. All right. So, so you've written more than just this book. You've written a book called He Qualifies You, and you basically have covered a lot of that of what, what you talked about in this whole interview. Uh, but it leads me to ask this question. Uh, when did you gather the itch to write? Ooh, okay. So I never, I got the itch basically when you're, when you're a preacher, in a sense, you're writing sermons every week. Okay. You're writing something mm-hmm. to be delivered um, in a speech format. So essentially you're writing stuff down, you're preparing stuff there. Uh, mm-hmm. But to actually do something in a book form, essentially it came in initially 12 years ago for my first book through an encouragement from a friend who wanted me something and said, look, I want you to contribute a chapter. I just heard you preach on. That's great. I'd love that to go in a chapter in the book, in a book that I'm putting together with different authors. Do you mind writing some of that stuff down? And so I wrote that down. Amy, you know, think it would just be a chapter of a book and he read, chapter to make this your own thing, mate. You, you've, got to, you've got to just expand this a little bit and make it your own book. And so He Qualifies You came out of that. I wrote it fundamentally in about two or three weeks. I was in bed with pneumonia uh, back in, in 20, 2009. Uh, and so most of the work was done then uh, while I was uh, just, yep, in bed. I thought, oh, I don't want to waste this time. I'm going to write that book that I, my friends encouraged me to do. So He Qualifies the book. Uh, it came out of that uh, that period from a, a sermon, as I said, that a friend had heard. Really, really helpful book. Got a lot of good reviews on Amazon. Uh, very, very simple understanding of uh, what the Bible refers to as covenant. Uh, it's about mm. understanding the story of the whole Bible through the lenses of the different covenants that God has made. Because one of the confusing things about the Bible is seeing sometimes how God seems to treat people differently. Um, mm. You know, a lot of people when they first read the Bible or uh, Christian. It looks like the God in the Old Testament is different to the goddess. Like, what happened to him? You know, what? how come he mm. acts this way back then? And then now suddenly he's a loving God and acts this way. Well, no, 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 no. God's the same. Okay. But he does have different relationships with people. Yeah, the technical term for that is covenant. He has a different form of relationship with people. And so the idea mm. of he qualifies you is just explaining. There's these different three major covenants in the Bible. And, uh, different ways that God related to people through his sin. If you don't understand that that covenant, then you won't understand why in that part of the Bible, God acts like that. Whereas in this part of the Bible, he responds like this. You know, it's just a different type of relationship or uh, different in the relationship that he had with them. A little bit like a contract. So anyway, that's why that's 
that, that, that book is about, he qualifies you. And I actually bring some of that in to one of the chapters in my new book, You Can Handle the Truth. It's a much uh, bigger book. It's a proper substantive book. It's full of illustrations and articles and, and uh, et cetera. And uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that includes some of that, he qualifies you in there as well. But basically, the question was, what motivated me to write? Well, uh, on this second book, You Can Handle the Truth, it was because I was preaching on hermeneutics. I was uh, preaching at conferences and in our church, telling people or, in, or showing people how to read the Bible properly and how to understand it properly. And I had many come to me and said, Chad, you down. This needs to be a book. There's a need for this, for everyday people uh, to know how to read the Bible and understand it properly. Reveal refresh, restore. What do those three words mean to you? You know, when I was, uh, when I was born, as I said, I was born into a Christian family. Mm -hmm. The tradition, I guess, that, that I grew up in with our church is that, um, as, as a baby, at some point, uh, your parents would, uh, take you to church at a Sunday service, talk with the pastor and dedicate you before the Lord. It's just basically a way of the, the pastor and the whole church together praying for the mum and dad, uh, the, the parents, uh, if there's two of them, and praying for the child and saying, this child is a gift of God. Let's let's bless this child and, and devote their life to God. Okay, so that's uh, baby dedication is probably the term that we'd use for that. Well, when I was dedicated as a baby, um, a lady in the church, an older lady uh, came up to my parents' with a scripture and said, I was just praying for your boy today uh, for the service. And I just really felt like this passage of scripture would be really pertinent for him growing up. And it comes from Isaiah 58, uh, where verse 11 and 12, Isaiah 58, 11 and 12, where God says, um, the Lord will guide you always. He will guide you. And that's God giving revelation. The Lord will reveal things to you. Okay. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. And as a result of that, you'll become like a garden that is well watered, that will water others. Uh, you, you have a spring, who's, uh, a spring whose waters never fail to keep giving. And as that happens, your people will be called restorer of broken walls and uh, re rebuilder of streets with dwellings. Where there was destruction, there would be restoration. And so those three words, reveal, refresh, and restore is that what the third word, the, mm -hmm. the third the third word was? Um, yes, sir. it comes from that passage. That as God, that 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 sort of promise of as God shows you things, reveals things to you, the Lord will guide you. You will live a refreshing life that can refresh other people. And as you refresh other people, people will be restored, and that will be the legacy. And so I kind of feel right from my infancy that that's been that those three words that that from that passage, there's something of of what God wanted to do through my life, of a promise to me to guide me through my life so that I can be refreshed myself in a sun-scorched land. Hey, Australia, mate, like I said, there's a sun-scorched <laughs> right. land here. Right. Uh, to be a refreshed person that refreshes others and brings res restoration to people's lives. So, yeah, so that's why you'll find those words, uh, find those words on my website. So,
author, pastor, and minister Chad M. Mansbridge has joined me on Revelations. I'm so glad he has done that. And now we have come to the point of the show where in honor and ode of the hip-hop group De La Soul, we're going plug tuning. And this is where the host, I'm sorry, the guest, gets a chance to plug or promote anything to his, in this case his, or her heart's desire. In case this is his, so at this time I'll roll the red card right out to you. The floor is yours. <laughs> Thanks, Cole. Well, listen, it's been a privilege to uh, be chatting with you this morning or this evening, however you uh, see that. Uh, but uh, look, my, if people want to look, find out more about me, uh, certainly uh, my book, You Can Handle the Truth, is available on all good platforms and uh, audio book. If people want to hear my voice narrate it uh, or ebook or paper book, I'm a paper book fan. You know, I like to... Uh, to be able to uh, read it in the bath or underline or highlight certain passages. So I'm a, certainly a paper book fan myself. And there's also this year, there'll be a small group uh, video course coming out. You can get uh, part one of that free on YouTube. We're just packaging it now and finalizing the, the audio quality of that. And uh, so we're working on that at the moment. But uh, basically, if anyone wants to find out anything more about me, you just need to know my name. There's not many man's bridges around. So chadmansbridge.com or uh, anywhere on social media, just look up Chad mansbridge and uh, you'll find me easy enough so it's been a privilege to be with you cole thanks very much oh it was a privilege for you for me to have you and i'm so glad that you were able to be a guest well ladies and gentlemen author minister pastor chad mansbridge from way down under uh joins me for revelations thank you so much sir i am so glad you joined me If there were four words that stuck with me during this entire interview, it was those. We are supposed to show love to those three things, and it gives us the ultimate joy when we do. However, we are unsure of doing this altogether. When you talk to a pastor who has a passion for talking about the Word of God, it's hard to not be at one with the energy, you know, when two or three are gathered together in his name and all. The Bible says... Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. I'm so glad there's at least one person on the planet who challenges us to not misinterpret the Bible. It is for our good, not our harm. It's meant to reveal, refresh, and restore the wonders of God in all of us. And that's how we get the pure, unadulterated joy. Many thanks to Chad Mansbridge for giving us his perspective on life and on many different things about the Bible. And why don't you join us every single Tuesday on YouTube where you will see a different person being interviewed by yours truly each and every week. For changing the world one conversation at a time. I'm Cole Johnson, and this has been Revelations.
tuning into Revelations. To download this episode, go to Acast and type Revelations. For apparel, go to Spring and type Revelations. Music by Lakey Inspired. Music